the reason that it can then affect your health is because it's like sludge. It's like sludge in your body when you're holding on to negative emotion and keeping it pushed down. And it takes a lot of energy to hold it down. And so people become lethargic and they don't feel vitality. And it's no coincidence that when you're in hospital, the nurse comes in and she checks your vitals. Do you find it hard to shut off the brain chatter? Do you feel like you're a slave to overthinking or stuck in a cycle of people pleasing? We all do this from time to time, but when it starts to keep us awake at night and affect our health, it's time for something to give. I'd like to welcome my guest today, Tracy Seacombe, to talk about transitioning from people pleasing to soul pleasing, from giving all our energy to others to filling ourselves first so we can give more care and focused energy to our most valuable tasks and the people who are most important to us. Hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. How are you this morning? I'm great. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks for having me. My absolute pleasure. Today, we are talking all about the idea around soul-pleasing, which is what your business is all about. So can you give me a bit of an overview of how you help people become a soul-pleaser rather than a people-pleaser? Yeah, thanks, Rachel. So I guess it all started with my own realisation, which is often how people end up coaching is they have their own experience and their own transformation and then they feel like there might be somebody out there who can relate and when I think back to 2016 I was running three businesses I had family including three children and I was really burnt out and I didn't even realize I was burnt out until now (laughs) really but at the time I was very very stressed and The reason I was burnt out, I realised, was because I was such a people pleaser. So it was so important for me to keep everybody happy and respond to everybody constantly that I really worked from morning to night and I was quite a workaholic. And so to hit rock bottom and feel really exhausted, I think was my turning point where I could make that realisation and then make my shift from being a people pleaser to a soul pleaser. And when I made that shift and life became so much easier and so much more fun and more joyful, I thought perhaps I could help some other women do that as well. Yeah, no, that's awesome. What was that journey like for you when you've hit that point and you decide you need to make a change? Well, at first it was just the realisation. It was like I just my whole sense of self is based on recognition from other people. I realized that unless someone was patting me on the back and telling me I was doing a good job, then I would worry all the time that maybe I wasn't doing a good job. And I had so much evidence that I was. So things were going really well and the businesses were successful, but there was this, this, it was like a drug to get that feedback. And so I also used to rehash conversations. So I used to worry about what people thought and I'd have a conversation with someone and then afterwards I'd replay it over my mind in my mind and I think I wonder if they thought this or if they thought that or I hope I didn't upset them I hope I didn't offend them or you wouldn't hear from someone for a while and then you'd start to make up a story about maybe they're thinking this or like none of it was real it was all in my head so the people that I work with and my own experience was in the end 
all I wanted was for that to stop. Like that incessant chatter in the brain was actually exhausting. And all of it was based in insecurity and based in worrying about what other people think. And a lot of people find it difficult to sleep or they're so exhausted that they fall asleep. But then if the slightest thing happens to wake them up, then the chatter starts again and you're awake again and you can't get back to sleep. So for me, the journey started by realizing it had to stop. Like, I just can't go on like this. I am so sick of this negative conversation in my mind. I'd do anything to make this go away. So I, I naturally um, have always read books. I love mindset, which you do as well. And I've always read books since a young age. But I went into a bookshop soon after this happened and I was there to buy a present for somebody else. And this book was sitting in front of me called Light is the New Black by Rebecca Campbell, who's Australian. And I picked it up for my friend's birthday, but I also picked up one for myself and I sat down and started reading it. And that was the first sort of opening of really tapping into, I guess, a more spiritual side of myself. So I'd done a lot of work on thinking into results. So Bob Proctor's written a program called Thinking Into Results, and I was a facilitator for that program. So I knew all about trying to think more positively. But what I needed to do was move from my head to my heart. I knew how to think, but I was overthinking. And so that was the first step for me is to actually start to get out of my head and move into my heart and actually honour my feelings. I think that we can live in our heads and lose that ability to feel. So that was the beginning of my journey was that first step. Yeah, that's awesome. Let's just continue on with that. What did the whole process then look like? Was it more books and more reading? And did you step back from some of the things that you were doing with your businesses? Yeah. So one of the biggest changes um, that happened, and it's something that I teach and I recommend to anybody listening, if you're feeling like this, is to really take a stock take of all the things that are consuming you. So obviously, in my case, I was too busy. I was addicted to doing. And I realise now that that's a way that we can numb out. So if we're not actually good at feeling, we can do drugs or alcohol or food or Facebook scrolling or, you know, mindless TV. For me, it was working. So that was my addiction. So I kept myself so busy that that was a time that could distract me from those thoughts and worrying, but also it was distracting me from some blocked emotions that I hadn't let go of from the past. So the first thing I needed to do was actually ask myself, why am I doing all of these things? And I realized that yes used to fall out of my mouth before I would even think about it. If someone asked me to do something, I would say yes, even before I really understood what they were asking of me. So, which is crazy because I was signing up for something that I didn't even really know if I could do it or if I could fit it into my schedule. And so what I did first was I did a stop take and I went through all the things that I was doing and why I was doing them. And if it was because I think I should, then I'd go, okay, that's not a good enough reason. And I would decide whether to stop doing that thing or to modify the way I was doing it. But if I was doing it because I loved it, then I would continue it and perhaps even do more of it. So there were a lot of things in there that I was doing because I didn't want to let people down because I thought it was the right thing to do because I thought I should do it. And so those things got eliminated. And I actually um, sold my physiotherapy company, which I 
really, really loved. It was very successful and I've been running it for 22 years. But I'd got to the point where I was ready for something new. I was really ready to coach people about mindset and things like that. And I was juggling both. So I was running the Thinking Into Results program plus the Jeunesse anti-aging business and the physiotherapy company. Mm -hmm. So I sold the physiotherapy company and I left the anti-aging business and focused on thinking into results. And as a result, I created space. And when we create space, what we really love can come to us. If we're so busy, we don't even have time to know what that is. Mm. And as soon as I made that space, the whole idea of from people pleaser to soul pleaser came to me. And that's when I started to create the program and teach women how to make that transformation. Mm -hmm. Can we talk about the idea of the word should? Because there are so many things that we say, I really should be doing this and should be doing that. And that is, like you said, when we say yes to things that we aren't necessarily wanting to do or are even equipped to do. So what is this idea around should that makes us say yes to things that we really don't have space for or don't want to be doing? Yeah, yeah. I think that it's learned. I think that we're all conditioned with different ideas of what's right and what's wrong and what's good and what's bad. And it doesn't make anyone wrong. It doesn't make your parents or your teachers or your peers that have taught you those things wrong. It's just that as a people pleaser, we tend to put other people's ideas and concepts and beliefs before our own, particularly when we're growing up and we don't have that filter to the subconscious mind. So all of the ideas that we're observing and hearing and experiencing around us, we don't filter them out. We don't question them. We just take them as gospel and in they go. So for me, for example, what I modelled was a mum who I adore. She passed away four years ago. She was a martyr. So she cared so much about being a good mother, a good part of the community, a good wife, all of those things, a good nurse, that she said yes to everything. And so she, you know, modelled that whole never knock back a request, always help other people. And helping other people is really positive. It's just what was missing in the equation for her and for me up until four years ago was helping myself as well. So I agree with helping others, but I really have come to understand the truth behind if you help yourself first, then you actually have more to give and you can help other people more. So I think that the should comes from this deeply buried idea that this is the way it should be done. This is how you should respond in a particular situation. Good girls are polite and don't say what they mean and keep the peace, you know, all of those sorts of things. So it's not um, so much that in the moment that you think, oh, I should do this, yes comes out so automatically it's only on reflection. Why am I doing that? Well, it feels like that it should be the right thing to do. So yeah, it's, I think the should has come from other people and the shift is what lights me up? What feels joyful? How do I feel if I decide this decision? And the other thing about saying yes, when it's not true is you just resent it. So it's not a full yes anyway, which is not the best outcome for anyone. Absolutely. You're not going to put your full effort and your full engagement into something that you really didn't want to say yes to in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So how do we start to say no or take the time to think about the decision 
before we do say yes? Yeah, so what I teach my clients to do is actually buy some time because you're so used to saying yes that it feels really uncomfortable when you're put on the spot to say no. And interestingly, if you are a people pleaser, people do put you on the spot because you're known as the yes girl. So they're going to come to you and ask you to do things like you want something done, go to a busy person and go to that person who never says no. Mm -hmm. So when I first started saying no, I would ask questions because that was new. I usually didn't ask enough questions. So I didn't really understand exactly the scope of what I was being asked to do. And so I would ask questions. So can you explain to me exactly why you want to do this or how much time will you need and what exactly is it you want from me? And so I'd have a really good understanding of what I was being asked to do. And then I would say, great, can you leave it with me and I'll just look at my schedule, check in with everything you've told me, come back with any questions I might have and then I'll let you know. Mm -hmm. And you just buy yourself some time. And I would say in terms of decision making, because another thing that people pleasers say to me is I second guess myself all the time. Mm. And this, again, is where we've given away our own voice and our own opinion and our own powers. We're so used to pleasing other people that we don't really know what we want. And so therefore, we don't really know what the right choice is. Should I do this or maybe I should do that? Mm -hmm. Instead, if you can start to tap in and trust how it makes you feel. So you play out the scenario of saying yes, for example, and see what feeling comes up for you. And then you play out the scenario, not necessarily of saying no, because that might bring up fear because you're actually afraid of saying no, mm -hmm. but the feeling of doing what you'd really like to do rather than the thing that you've been asked and trust that. Mm -hmm. And then at first, the goal is to just be able to say, no, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, but no, thank you. But it takes a little bit of practice to get to that. We feel like we have to justify ourselves. And I would just say whatever feels most comfortable to you in the beginning because it is it is a change it's a challenge to shift from always saying yes to starting to say no yeah absolutely it's a massive 180 basically yeah yeah it is yeah I want to go back and talk a little bit about the chatter in our mind that you brought up earlier why do we overthink I think all of us overthink to a certain extent but what is overthinking and where does it come from? Yeah, so there's a real science behind overthinking and it comes from the emotion of worry. And really that's what overthinking is, is we're projecting into the future and worrying about an outcome that we don't want. So even when we're rehashing, if you think of the example of reflecting on a conversation that, you had, that you've had with someone, what's happened has happened. So there might be some regret I wish I didn't say that. But if you go deeper than that and think about the why you wish you didn't say that, you're wishing you didn't say it because you're suspecting or presuming that they might be going to think something about you. So it's completely made up. So you're completely making up a future scenario or a scenario that's already happened, even though you don't know whether it has or not, which is worry. So the opposite to worry is being present and being accept, expecting the best, but being present in the moment. And we don't practice that. And we have a lot of distractions 
technology is a dream in terms of the convenience that it brings to us. But we aren't present in the moment because we are just pulled in lots of different directions. You know, we're thinking about the text message that's coming up or the conversation that we had or our to-do list and what we need to do next. And some of the ladies that I speak to before they start the program will say to me, I'm actually in procrastination because I get home from dropping the kids off. I come in and I think I'm exhausted. The baby's asleep. Shall I have a sleep or shall I do the washing or shall I clean the kitchen or shall I meditate? <laughs> and they don't even know which one to do because they're just so torn and there's just so many distractions. So what happens is when we're constantly worrying, we're creating a negative emotion and what our body does to that is it takes it seriously. So it thinks that we're in a fight or flight situation. So we either need to get in a fight or run away. And so it pumps all this cortisol and adrenaline through our body so that we can do one of those things, which of course we don't do because we're just sitting here or even lying in bed overthinking. And cortisol actually triggers more negative thinking. Mm -hmm. So the whole loop just gets stronger and stronger. So it's another addiction. It's a chemical addiction where we get addicted to that adrenaline feeling. And so as soon as the first start thoughts, the first thought starts, it attracts another one and another one, then the cortisol kicks in and that causes us to, to do it more. So when we're in the loop, it can feel like a nightmare. It can feel like I can't shut this down. Mm -hmm. And one of the hardest thing to do is to think a more positive thought about the subject that you're on, because mm -hmm. once you're on that subject, it's just, you're so deep into it that you can only feel bad about it. It's actually really tricky for you to start to feel better about it. So the easiest thing can be the distraction method, which is what you would use with a toddler is when the toddler wants something and can't have it, you know, they're trying to jump into a pool, you grab them a ball to play with and you just get their attention on something else. Mm -hmm. And so when you're in the middle of it, then I would say that you might want to go distraction method, get out of bed, for example, have a drink of water, you know, just do something completely different. But the best way to prevent the overthinking is as soon as you wake up. So we have a rest from thinking when we've been asleep. Mm -hmm. So this is our opportunity to meditate when we first wake up mm -hmm. so that we can be present and slow the thinking down. Once you're in about of rampaged kind of overthinking, it can be difficult to slow it down. But if you've got into the habit of slowing your thoughts down, it gets easier and easier for you to bring that into your day and stop that overthinking. Mm -hmm. Do you have a morning routine where you do this for yourself? Yeah, I do. So my priority now is to feel good. And I know that my whole day goes really well if I feel good. So mm -hmm. feelings didn't come into the equation before, but now I know mm -hmm. it's all about how you feel. And so I will start with meditation. So as soon as I wake up, I'll meditate so that I slow the thinking down. Once you've been meditating for a while, what happens is you actually raise your vibration, which is another way of saying you feel better. So your emotions raise, they feel better and better. And the better you feel, the more you attract better feeling thoughts and feelings. 
So I start the day like that and then I'm really inspired and I then I walk along the beach is the next thing that I always do and that just adds to that because I feel mm -hmm. fantastic when I do that. And then I come back and start my day and if I get a drop in my energy mid-afternoon, then I'll meditate again or do some yoga poses, which is like meditating as well, mm -hmm. so that I can raise my vibration again and feel good again. Mm, absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So you have a resource on your website that's called the 60-second emotion switch. Can you tell yeah. me what that is and how it works? Yeah, absolutely. So this came about because I was trying to think about what the first step is for people when they when I first meet them, where are they at? And where was I at? And what I would say is I was on an emotional roller coaster. And that's exactly how my clients come to me. So they are all over the place. So if something goes well, and underneath that, when something goes well, because they rely so much on conditions and other people, they can feel okay about themselves in that moment. Then they feel good. Mm -hmm. Then something goes wrong and then they feel bad. So they're just at the whim of their conditions and their circumstances and other people. And so the emotions are just up and down, up and down and often extreme because we're so attached to whether we're doing a good job, whether we feel like we're succeeding, whether we're getting that recognition back from someone. And so it's just this up and down, up and down, and it's absolutely exhausting for yourself and for your family and people mm. around you. Mm. And generally you won't show that outside the house either. Mm. So what I also see is what I call the volcano effect. So you keep the peace, keep the peace, don't say what you think, don't say what you think, don't show your emotions. And then when you're behind closed doors around the people you love, where you can be yourself, you explode and you crack it. <laughs> so the poor people that you love get the worst. So you're like the street angel and the house devil. So, so this, is, this is what I want to help people with, is this emotional roller coaster. So this 60-second emotional switch is being able to, in the mo moment, become aware become aware of the trigger, the thing that's caused it and the emotion that you're feeling mm -hmm. and then to reframe it. So to ask what I call your soul, so this other part of you, this, I guess, the nice, kind part of you, to reflect on why you're so angry or sad or frustrated mm -hmm. and see it from a different point of view. And so in that particular tool that you're talking about, I give an example it's me hanging out the washing and resenting the job, you know, just being annoyed about it. Yeah. And then starting to think, well, the reason I've got so many clothes is because I've got three, you know, healthy, happy kids. They wear lots of different outfits because they're involved in lots of different things. Isn't that great? You know, I'm glad they've got so many interests. And I chose this. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to be married. I wanted you know, isn't it great that the sun's shining and the clothes will dry, you know, and you can just suddenly end up seeing the whole situation through new eyes and you literally pull yourself off the ledge. Mm -hmm. But I think the first step is to recognise that only you can do that rather than blaming the person who said something, which is quite often how it all starts, you mm -hmm. want to be mad at that person, is to take full responsibility and know that only you can change how you feel. So when you when you download that free tool, you actually end up with a free video every week for six weeks, which teaches you the steps to continue to go down that track so that you can start to feel better and better. And I'll add a link in the description of the show if you want to check that out. I think I'll be checking that out later. <laughs> From that 
Do you believe that we can choose how we feel about any situation? Yeah, we can. And it takes time to shift the way that we feel. And I also want to say that there's no emotion that is wrong or right, no emotion that you want to feel bad about. So even though we know what feelings feel good and we know which ones we don't like, the good thing about the negative emotion is that it has drawn your attention to a preference. Mm -hmm. So you feel that emotion because you don't like the situation as it is. And it's an opportunity for you to go, well, what do I like? And it's drawn your attention to the fact that you are focused on the problem rather than the solution. You're focused on the mm -hmm. thing you don't like rather than what you do like. And so you can always improve the way that you feel, but you can't go from zero to 100 because mm -hmm. like attracts like. So if you're feeling hopeless and helpless and depressed, you're not going to jump to gratitude. And so when we're trying to cheer someone up who's devastated, we are not helpful by jumping to this really high positive, you know, grateful space. They're just not ready for that. And they're going to recoil from that. Mm. And so it's just being able to reach for relief, just feeling relief from the emotion that you're experiencing at the moment and feeling a bit better than you did before. Mm. Um, and it might be going from feeling helpless to blame. You don't want to stay in blame, but blame feels a little bit better than feeling helpless. And then you might go to anger and you might be able to work your way all the way up to just being bored by the whole thing, but it still feels better than where you were. So, yeah, I really have experienced myself and through my clients that we can control our own emotions. And when we do, we can have a much better life and have this inner joy rather than expecting our circumstances to make us happy. Mm, absolutely. Our joy, it needs to come from the inside, whereas we're always looking for it outside of us. We're never going to really find it long term because if we're always putting it outside, the circumstances are going to change. So it really has to come back to having it within ourselves first. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're just relying on something that you can't rely on, but what you can rely on is yourself. And of course, the wonderful flow on effect of that is that when you're a joyful person, then you just attract all these wonderful things into your life. And then you have wonderful circumstances that do bring more joy as well, but you just can't rely on that. And I think that that's where most people have it backwards is I would feel better if only he would behave differently. Mm. Well, you might wait till hell freezes over before that <laughs> happens. So, you know, you're better <laughs> off taking responsibility and doing something about it yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Another thing that I've seen you talk about is being triggered by certain people or situations. So what is happening when we are triggered? Maybe we get um, really angry or really upset by a certain person or situation. Where does that trigger point come from? Yeah. So there's so many different examples, but I'll tell you one about a guy that I was speaking to yesterday. So he was saying to me, because we've been doing work for over a year together now, so he understands how it works, but he was saying to me how he grew up watching his dad and hearing his dad say to his mum, who he adores, like they're lovely people, so we're never blaming our conditioning, but the story that he saw was nothing's ever good enough for your mother. So the dad was trying so hard, but his perception of what his wife would say back to him is, that's not good enough. I'm still not happy. Can you do more? 
And so this person that I'm working with has modelled that. So as a child, without the filter to be able to say, I don't want to be like that, has just grown up with that same limiting belief, nothing's ever good enough for my wife. So the wife is the innocent party. So he told me a story about how, you know, they were driving into a particular home and she said something wonderful about this home and he suddenly felt defensive. So it was an innocent comment about how wonderful this home was, but he suddenly felt like nothing's good enough, you know, in, in his own mind. It's like, what about our house? You know, like nothing's ever good enough. And so it's just realizing that it's not about this moment. It's not about what the other person is saying and what's actually happening. It's this blocked emotion that you pushed down when you were younger that you felt from somebody else or some circumstance, nothing's ever good enough in this example. And when you realize that, you can just relax and go, I'm overreacting to the current circumstances. My emotion is not about this. It's not about this person. It's about my past. And so we can reconcile with that. So sometimes it needs just a quick forgiveness letter or resentment letter towards anybody in the past or anything that's happened in the past. It's not about blaming them. It's taking full responsibility for it. But it allows you to let that go and go, okay, I know that I am doing my best. I know that I am enough. And if I know that, then I won't be triggered if somebody says something like mm -hmm. that anymore. Mm -hmm. my, my example was around cooking. I didn't put a lot of effort in cooking because I was a workaholic. So there wasn't much time to concentrate on getting, putting a good meal up. And I would get so offended if anybody said anything about the meal. Mm -hmm. And I laugh about it now because I think they had every, every right. <laughs> like it probably wasn't that good. But at the time, me being offended wasn't about them it was about me not feeling good enough because I was a perfectionist. And even though I didn't have time to be good at cooking, I wanted to be good at everything. I wanted to be the perfect wife, the perfect mom, the perfect business owner, all these unachievable things. And so it was all my stuff. And so when you realize this, you realize that your triggered emotions are about you and what you believe. And if you're going to shift them, you need to change those beliefs with something that's more positive. Mm -hmm. Talk me through writing the resentment letter or the forgiveness letter. What could that look like for someone? So usually, depending on how you were brought up, so for people who are very aware now, they're probably encouraging their children to feel their emotions and express how they feel. I'm 51. When I was brought up, you did not answer back. So that was what my dad used to say. And that's how he was brought up. So he would say, don't answer me back. So if he said something and I felt angry about it, I had nowhere to go with that. Like I just had to swallow it. So I literally swallowed that emotion and pushed that down. So I wanted to throw a hissy fit at the time in the moment and if I was able to just yell and scream and carry on and get over it then I would have felt better and had relief within about 30 seconds but instead I buried it so now I'm just continually triggered and you know re-experiencing it so a resentment letter could be throwing the tantrum you never threw so you never give the letter to the person like mm -hmm. you shred it you know it's yeah. not something that you ever want anyone to see but it's where you crack it it was like you know it hurt my feelings so much when you said this blah 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 and you go completely into victim mode and blame 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 none of it is true you know that you were responsible for how you felt 
but because you felt too scared to feel the emotion and just let it pass you pushed it down and now you're going to feel it you're going to feel it you're going to get mad and then you're going to feel relief and then you're going to tear it up and go oh now I feel lighter it's uh-huh. gone so it's just as simple as getting rid of that blocked emotion hmm. and then you know the forgiveness piece is just understanding that it wasn't about them it was about my interpretation of it mm. and the fact that I was too scared to speak up I, that was my choice mm-hmm. why is forgiveness important what does forgiveness do for our mental health and also our physical health we've talked about a few times how it affects your physical health as well when you're able to let go and forgive someone yeah it's really interesting because a lot of people when they first come to me say and don't ask me to forgive such and such because I can't and the reason that they feel like they can't is because they are absolutely certain that what the other person did was the wrong thing to do and what they don't understand is how life works in my opinion so I'm never going to say that I know everything so through my experience what I believe is that everything is an opportunity for us it's an opportunity for us to experience what we don't like and then to grow from that and to experience something better. But if we stay stuck in blame and we hold resentment towards somebody and the resentment test is just check in, think of somebody or something and feel if you feel okay, you're either going to feel nothing or you're going to feel this kind of sick feeling in your stomach, Mm. you're still holding on to resentment. So that only hurts you. And what it does is it doesn't allow you to move on and actually create the good thing that was the opportunity to create out of that because everything has an equal and opposite to it. Mm. And the reason that it can then affect your health is because it's like sludge. It's like sludge in your body when you're holding on to negative emotion and keeping it pushed down. And it takes a lot of energy to hold it down. And so people become lethargic and they don't feel vitality. And it's no coincidence that when you're in hospital, the nurse comes in and she checks your vitals. That's the same word as vitality. That's what keeps you alive. Mm -hmm. So if you don't feel energized, then you don't have that full life force flowing through you that you could because you're blocking it somewhere. And quite often it's resentment and it's someone that you haven't forgiven. You're forgiving them for yourself so that you feel better. And the big thing that I say to people is that you don't have to ring them up. You don't have Mm -hmm. to go and see them. You don't have to become friends with them to forgive them you just let it go you just stop holding on to it and rehashing it at the subconscious level which is keeping you blocked and keeping you stuck mm-hmm. this probably sounds like a very basic question but I guess physically or mentally how do we forgive someone we've decided to do it is there kind of a process we can go through that will allow us to forgive someone yeah Well, what I've done is I've done it over time. So rather than writing one letter and feeling like it's done, what I've done is whenever I have felt triggered by a memory of that person or if the person's still in your life, something comes up, I have looked at that and gone, this is still about way back when, when he did that or whatever it may be. Mm. And I I will have a conversation with myself about, putting myself in that person's shoes and telling myself where that could have come from. 
and understanding that that person has been conditioned mm. and people are always doing the best they can with what they know at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's just about having more understanding of how something that could happen, like that could happen. The other thing that I do is I ask myself, have I ever done anything similar because we always want to say, oh, no, but that was so much worse. You know, I've done this, but it's not as bad as that. So it might be, let's say that somebody lied, for example. You could go, have I ever lied? Well, yes, I have. Everybody lies. Like, I have lied. I might not have lied in that way, but who am I to say this sin, this thing that's wrong is this small and this is this big, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's just continually that voice of reason. And if you combine it with meditation, you will find that what meditation does is it connects you with the wiser part of you, the wiser part of you that can see it from the bigger picture. You know, some people have beautiful, wise old grandmothers and grandfathers who they've lived a life and they'll say, oh, darling, don't worry about it because they don't worry about it anymore, you know, and they realise that this is a big part of it is to forgive and forget. And then you can be present and move on with your life. So I think that it can be a work in progress and it's a matter of having the goal of feeling free of it, just feeling free of it and being able to completely let it go. But you never have to, you know, go up to the person and say, you know, you did the right thing. I was wrong. You know, it's not, it's not about that because I know that people can't go there. It's just recognizing that it's just going to hold you back. And the longer you hold on to it, the longer you'll stay stuck. Yep. Absolutely. It's just hundred percent for yourself. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's the reason you're doing it. Yeah. Mm. Talking about our relationships, it could be work relationships, family relationships. Why do some people find it difficult to really say what they mean? And why do we hold back sometimes putting our opinion forward? I think it ties into that example that I said, like with my dad saying, don't answer me back. So Mm -hmm. it probably depends on how you grew up and whether what you said was valuable and valued, whether, you know, you were included in the conversation and everybody listened to you and you felt heard. And so then you were taught what I have to say is valuable. Mm. The other thing that can happen is that people can grow up with somebody with a mental health issue, for example, in their family, or just somebody who's unhappy. And so they feel like they're walking on eggshells. So they grow up walking on eggshells and keeping the peace. And so then they will reproduce that situation in their adult life where they end up married to someone like that or someone in their family where they feel like they have to tiptoe around them and the other person is easily offended. Then on the flip side, if your self-worth is based on approval from others as a people pleaser, then you won't say something for fear of them thinking you're stupid or you know, not agreeing with what you said, or maybe you're too dumb to have an opinion about this. Mm. Um, So there's all sorts of reasons we don't speak up. We don't want to offend people. We don't want to let them down. We want to keep the peace. We want to avoid confrontation. I find that's really big with people pleasers, Mm. absolutely terrified of confrontation. So they'd rather not say anything. So again, they swallow it, just block that emotion, build up resentment towards the person, never actually say how they feel about it. Whereas a personality where somebody will just say it, they're over it once they've said it. 
And it's the people pleaser and the person who can't communicate well who will stew on it for ages and really hold on to it because they can't speak up. So I think we can feel like we are going to look stupid, not be heard, or we feel responsible for the other person's emotions and how they're going to react to what we're going to say. One of my clients recently went through something with an extended family member and they were so afraid of actually saying what they wanted to say. And when they eventually did, the other person was absolutely fine about it, made the change that she suggested. It was all so much easier than she'd made it out to be. But this is where the whole rehashing and you know not speaking up can come hand in hand and the big benefit of it in fact is I find that it really heals relationships honesty is one of the most important things in a relationship so it's really important for us to be able to know what's true for us and to be able to share that with people and it brings us closer together absolutely I think as well confrontation or the fear of confrontation is a massive one for a lot of people so how can we start to feel more comfortable with the idea of potential confrontation when we're having conversations so that we can be honest and we can be authentic to grow those relationships yeah I think it's letting go of the fear of someone else's emotion and know that the other person is actually the person in control of that emotion not you so it's letting go of thinking that you have any power over somebody else's emotions Mm. so just like we say he made me feel we're like, I don't want to say that in case I make her feel. So we're thinking that we're the ones that make someone feel something. But in fact, what happens with an emotion is, first of all, there's the event. So in this case, it's you saying something to somebody. Then in the split second between what you say and how they react is their perception of what you said. Mm. Now, their perception is based on their entire life history. So you cannot possibly have any control over how somebody is going to perceive what you say. Mm -hmm. So if they take what you say the wrong way in a way that you didn't mean it, you can't do anything about that in the moment. And so their reaction is their reaction. So it's just allowing them to have their reaction and realise that you can't control that. Mm -hmm. And having said that, when you start to do soul pleaser work and tune more into your soul, you tap into the highest good for all. So this means not only what's good for you, but what's always also good for them. And if you come into the conversation feeling really calm, really peaceful, really confident about what you're going to say rather than afraid, often you will find that the response is actually really good. So I would really encourage people who are fearful of confrontation to get very confident and comfortable about the truth that they're going to share before they share it. If you're kind of nervous about it, then you'll get exactly what you expect, you know, and you'll get that confrontation that you're trying to avoid. But if confrontation occurs, which is basically increased negative emotion, Just see it for what it is and know that it will pass and don't be so afraid of that because it's just an emotion and you can just hang in there with it and stick to your guns. But it just takes a little bit of practice. Yeah, of course. That's great advice. Yeah. (laughs) So what does it mean to be a soul pleaser? Can we start to go on that journey? How do we know when we've started to get there? Yeah, so that's such a great question because it's always a journey. So there's no sort of like start and complete end point. But when I think about the difference with me and my clients is that now I know who I am 
and I completely love who I am exactly as I am. So I can change and I can continue to improve and I love doing that. But I am totally okay with it myself right now. Mm-hmm. And because I'm okay with myself right now, I can be honest, I can be myself. And the interesting thing is that that's what people really love is just when you're being mm-hmm. yourself. And so I'm honest with people. <clears throat> I honor what I want. I make time for what I want. I say no to things that I don't want and don't want to do. I'm very tapped into my passion and my purpose. So I absolutely love doing this. So that's why I reached out to you and said, would you like to do this? Mm -hmm. So I'm not afraid of asking for what I want. I follow my bliss and do more of it. And that's exactly what I would say soul pleasing is, is because I think that our soul is the non-physical part of us that knows that we are here to sift and sort and decide what we love and do more of that and create more of that. And contrast will keep coming up to remind us, yep, don't really like that, prefer this. And so we're just continually fine-tuning what it is that we love and attracting and creating and doing more and more of what we love. And as a soul pleaser, what I would say is that we're even of more service to other people. I think the biggest fear of giving up people-pleasing is that we think that we have to be a people-pleaser to help others. And I would say that we're actually more relaxed, more fun to be around and Mm. more attractive from an energetic point of view when we're a soul pleaser. And so therefore we can help people even more. Mm, That's absolutely right. So Tracy, what is your biggest message that you want to get out into the world? That you are absolutely perfectly right where you should be, right where you are right now. Everything is going to work out for you and life is for you. So always have hope and always shift your attention to what it is that you love and what you would love to create and do. That is awesome. I love that. Tracy, how can people connect with you and work with you? So the best way to find me is my website. So it's tracyseacom.com.au. And the resource that you mentioned, Rachel, is there, the 60-second emotion switch. I've also got a free online webinar, How to Unleash Your Inner Power. And I've got a free book on there as well. Or you can just send me an inquiry through my website and connect with me that way. Awesome. Fantastic. And all of that will be below for you to check out. Tracy, thank you so much for coming on the show. I had an absolutely awesome time talking to you and I can't wait to check out some of those resources myself. Thanks, Rachel. Thanks so much for having me. It was great. If you'd like to check out those free resources or connect with Tracy, there are links below in the show notes. If you enjoyed today's episode, send it to one person who would also benefit from what we talked about. Thank you for being part of the Mindset Mastery community. Remember, we are only limited by what we believe we are limited.